Shalom, everyone. Shalom. We are now finally in the, the last section of the study in the book of Ephesians. And we're going to be studying a completely different type of theme from all the previous themes that we have studied. In the book of Ephesians, we've seen that Apostle Paul begins with the theoretical. The fact that in Christ, uh, everything will be integrated, that in Christ, everything will be renewed. And then he talks about the practical issues, like the community, the body of Christ, that needs to be unified with all kinds of diversity expressed in the body of Christ. There has to be unity. There has to be love. There has to be peace. And then he engaged in talks that are related to personal virtues of how to live a sanctified life. And then he addressed different types of relationships, actually very close relationships, relationships that you have with your spouse, relationship that you have with your parents and with your children, and the relationship that you have with those who are underneath you, who are working for you, or those who are above you. Uh, your superiors. And starting today, we're going to do another series within the series on a very different theme. It is a theme about relationship, but it is not like any other themes that we have addressed thus far. And that is the theme of our relationship to our spiritual enemies. You know, relationship is not necessarily just always a good term. And sometimes in order to relate to our obstacles, our opposers, our enemies, we have to take certain type of stance, certain type of attitude, which is very different from the type of intimate relationship that we have with families and friends and so forth. So the scripture is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. That's the whole section. And then we only have one final few verses to address, and that's the end of the book of Ephesians. So today I will be only addressing from verses 10 to 13. But let's read the whole text together so that we can get a, a sense as to what Paul is trying to get at. Beginning with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. 
pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Amen. So today I'm going to speak on the theme of spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare against our spiritual enemies, the devil and the demons. And I want to say three things about spiritual warfare. And that is firstly, I want to speak on the guarantee of victory that we have in Christ. And this is not just a futuristic thing. We see that the victory is ours in the present, in Christ. Just like anything in life. Blessings, prosperity, peace of mind, sense of contentment, and joy. All of them are found in the Lord. Same thing. Victory and strength is found in the Lord. We begin with verse 10. Paul starts out by saying, Finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Don't you love that word? Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Do you remember the story of Joshua as he was about to cross over River Jordan to possess the land that God had promised the Israelites? And now he was the second generation leader and Moses had passed away. And now Joshua has to receive the mantle and take this huge multitude of the Israelites into the promised land. And the Lord assured him over and over, be strong and be courageous. Be strong and be courageous. Don't lose your heart in the process. Well, we today living in this society and especially in this pandemic season, we have so many things going against us. We have financial problems. We have uh, a relational problems in the sense that how can we relate? How can we reach out to others? We have all kinds of political situations that's happening here and there. I think in some sense, people are kind of going crazy. They're getting kind of neurotic and maybe even psychotic and things are about to burst. What we see in Myanmar is just one of those situations, but we see everywhere pockets of explosions, of violence and tyranny. And yet, against all these odds, against all the attacks that may become you know, against us, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Where do we get the strength? Where do we get the power? Do you know how to tap that strength, tap that power? Even in your daily life when you're feeling down and depressed, do you know where to tap for that power? Obviously, Apostle Paul is saying that there is that power reserved for us that we can truly tap. In order to understand this, we need to go back to the previous uh, text. We can go back to chapter 1 and look at verses 18 to 20. And Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. 
There's power for those of us who believe. There's power in faith. And that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That is the resurrection power and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That is the ascension power. That is the authority that is given to all Christians in Christ. And then in chapter 3, verses 16 and 20, he says, I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Now, He's talking. When we use the phrase, the resurrection power, power of ascension, power of enthronement, that sounds very grand, but it's very difficult for us to identify. But when Apostle Paul is saying that strength and the power comes through His Spirit in our inner being. That makes sense because we all have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us, do we not? That Spirit is there. We may not be aware of Him. We may not be conscious of Him dwelling, but He is there. In verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Have you ever had an occasion of great weakness when you really had to rely upon the power that is within? Sometimes I have to rely upon physical power in the Lord. With my age and all. I don't have the type of physical power that I used to have when I was young. Sometimes my tendonitis kicks in. You know. Sometimes I feel stiff and rigid. And I say, how can I make it throughout this day? And I have a heavy schedule. The schedule hasn't actually changed in my life. Actually, the schedule is getting much more hectic in my old age. How can I keep this up? I had to learn how to tap the Spirit of God who is within me. I'm not talking about my inner strength, some kind of self-enlightenment and all that the New Agers talk about. That's not what I'm talking about. We need to learn to differentiate between myself and the Spirit of God who dwells inside of me because He considers me as the tabernacle or the temple. But He's there. Just like the presence of God, the glorious presence of God filled the inner chamber of the tabernacle. That spirit is there with me. And I can rely upon that. You know, anytime we get engaged in spiritual warfare, if we try to rely upon human resources, and human wits and human powers, human smarts, we're going to fail. You cannot fight spiritual warfare in the flesh with human resources. It's, it's a totally different ballgame. If you're going to fight that warfare, you must do so with spiritual resources and spiritual arsenals. And we have the very one who provides that power for us. 
And I love in chapter 2, verse 6, this one statement. This one statement has saved me over and over when the enemy would come and attack me. Psychologically, sometimes physically, and sometimes trying to really get me down and depressed. In chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is a past tense. He has already raised us up with Christ and we are now seated with Him in the heavenly realms. That's the position of authority. And if I'm seated as the body of Christ with the head in the heavenlies, then where does Satan and the demons where is their place underneath my feet of authority? So I can stomp on the enemy's head, being seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. You know, this perspective is so important. Learning how to soar into the heights and looking from that perspective. Oftentimes we're down here at the ground level trying to look up and the enemy is shooting down at us, throwing bombs on us. But if we can somehow rise beyond that and be with Christ in the heavenly realms, now we can look down on the enemy. We can understand the enemy's tactics. We can take authority over the enemies. That's the key to fighting this warfare. So Apostle Paul begins with this voice of confidence that we can overcome the enemy. If we don't have that confidence, if we're not guaranteed of that kind of victory, then we are lost. Talking about all these tactics of the enemy, talking about, you know, all this armor that we have to wear to protect ourselves are not going to do if we're going to be defeated. And psychologically, those people who know that they can make it, they're going to be victors. They're the ones who are able to weather through hard times well. We start with victory. And we have truly the resource of victory within us. And that is none other than the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of the believers. Can I hear amen to that? Amen. Second thing that we need to be aware of is this tremendous reality of spiritual warfare. In verse 12, Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He clearly says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against human beings. It's not even against the human institutions, human systems. And yet, what do we do? We put on a struggle against human beings, fellow human beings. The opposition party, certain, certain people group. But Paul clearly says that that's not our fight. We're fighting the wrong type of fight. Of course, he's not saying that we cannot actually fight human beings. We do. We have warfare that's going on every day. We as humanity have engaged in killing and, and slaughtering and, and fighting and warring against each other. And we have at times gained victory. At times we've experienced defeat. 
Oftentimes, hopefully, some kind of treaties can be signed so that there's peace in the land. Yes, there's a fight in the flesh and blood. But Paul says spiritual warfare is a different type of warfare. It is actually against what he would call rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It has to do with spiritual beings and entities of high order. And I could only imagine, but it may have something to do with some kind of angelic and demonic hierarchy. But what has become such a popular notion in the modern day since 1950s, right after the Second World War, is this popular notion that here Paul is talking about actually the societal structures, systems, and traditions. Because there's no real demons out there. There's no real devil out there. It's the man-made structure, man-made system. Man-made traditions, that's what we have to war against. And so in those days, many scholars, liberal scholars, tended to demonize the structure. Maybe even demonize people groups and nations. We could demonize the North Korea. And we can demonize the ideology, Juche ideology of North Korea. It's easy for us to do that. And in the process, we forget that there's actually living and active demons and Satan as the head honcho over them behind those powers. I have no problem believing that the structures in this society are wrong in many, many senses and we need to restructure a lot of things. If it's an authoritarian, tyrannous type of government, should not be, what's happening in Myanmar should not happen. That's a really bad structure there. But the structure is not going to save people. Structure is not going to help them to overcome their spiritual warfare because Satan, what he's going to do is, he's going to, in the name of democracy, in the name of cooperation amongst fellow human beings, He's going to come up with some other ways to deceive and to plot against us. So we cannot have so much confidence in the human structure. I believe in making the very best structure possible, the best type of community possible, the best type of educational system possible, the best type of system by which I can raise my kids. I want to be involved in that, but at the end of the day, that's not what's going to do it. Because the enemy can be behind even some of the best structures in this society. In the name of democracy, the enemy can do do havocs. And sometimes democracy has become our idol. Thinking somehow that's going to guarantee everything for us. Egalitarianism has become our idol. Not to mention more of the hierarchical system. It's obvious that they're idols. But we are also blinded thinking that if we're for democracy, somehow we're in the right boat, going in the right direction. 
Not without God. Not without Jesus Christ. So the important thing is learning to discern the actual demonic influences that the devil is alive. The demons are around. And they're plotting. They're thinking. They know the psychology of human beings. They've been around for thousands of years. They're experts. They're pros. Let me give you some references that clearly shows us that we're talking about spiritual reality here. In chapter 1, beginning with verse 19b all the way to 21, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realms. When he's talking about heavenly realms, we're talking about completely different dimensional realm from the earthly realm. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age and also in the one to come. Obviously, this is not just talking about human structure, human system. This goes beyond human. This goes beyond the earthly. In chapter 3, verse 10, his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities even in the heavenly realms. I mean, who are in the heavenly realms? The angelics. And also the demonics who have fallen from the heavenly realms, but they're in the realms in between. It's not the earthly human realm we're talking about here. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Ruler of the kingdom of the air. In the atmosphere somewhere. Kind of like the coronavirus, but more. More subtle, more deceptive, more behind the scenes. We cannot see the virus, but technically we could if we had the right instruments. I mean, the fact that we are wearing the masks which have all the webbings and crisscrossing of the material to block out the virus depends on the size of the virus, right? So technically we can see, but the demons are not perceived that way. So they are in a realm that is other than the physical. But that spiritual overlaps with the physical here. We may have some demons here, hanging around here. But at the same time, we may have some angels hanging around here. But once again, do not fear. Why? Because we have victory in Christ. The one who is in us is so much greater and powerful than he that is in the world. Amen. Apostle John said in 1 John. So first thing we need to remind ourselves is that we already have the victory in Christ. But now we need to open our eyes to see the reality of spiritual warfare. That we must exercise discernment. And then thirdly, we need to take a real stance against the enemy. 
Let's read verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Then in verse 13, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. And in verse 14, he says, Stand firm then. And then he goes on to talk about the armor of God, which we'll talk about next week. So how do we take our stance against the enemy? And I want to give you some uh, strategic words here. I feel like we're in some kind of military force or something. And uh, I'm not a general. I've never been in the army. But I, I know a little bit about what is to be in the army of God where you are trained tough in the spiritual things. And these, these realities overlap. The military system and service in the army of God. And let me give you four words that we must receive regarding strategy for warfare. First of all, we must know our enemy. We must know our enemy. Paul calls him the devil. And this is a very familiar term. In Greek, it's the word diabolos. Diabolos. And it means actually the adversary. The one who is the opposition party against any cause of God. Anything that is of God, he's like anti. He's the anti-God. And the etymology of the term diabolus is this. Dia, dia, which means through or across, and balo, which means to throw or to fire. So the devil is engaged in throwing, we might say, darts of accusation, or he's throwing fire of oppression, He's always throwing things at us. Have you ever felt like the devil and the demons are always kind of throwing things at us? Throwing dirt and grime, putting shame upon us from the mouths of people sometimes, you know? Where we feel trashed. Where we feel violated. Where we feel taken advantage of and exploited. All of these things that are being done here on earth, that's the work of the devil. And human beings become the very agent of that. I hope that we are not going to be the instruments of the devil in doing that to others. Doing that to our own kids. Doing that to our, our people who work underneath us. Doing that to fellow Christians. Doing that to the people of the world. Because the devil is in the business of throwing and firing all kinds of junk, all kinds of abuses upon the people. That is the way of the devil. You can recognize how human beings operate and see the very nature of the devil coming out. And you have to exercise this. No, this is the way of the devil. I shouldn't do that to fellow human beings. I shouldn't do that to my family members, those whom I love. Even for the greater good and even for the ultimate 
goal in mind, we should not operate that way. Because that is the way of the devil. Now, the Hebrew word for the devil is Satan. Satan is translated as the accuser, falsely slandering the believers. And I'll talk about this more next week when I talk about the armor of God and how we need to be protected from the accusation and slander of the enemy. Everywhere around me, I see so many Christians just crumbling and devastated, down and depressed because of the slanderous accusation of the enemy. I'm sure you guys can all identify with me. We have all good parents here. We think the very best of our children. You and I, we cannot imagine pounding our kids and accusing them, slandering them, cutting them down. No, we will do everything to empower them, everything to strengthen them, everything to raise them up. Where Satan does completely the other business of violating us, desecrating us, demeaning us. So we must know the enemy and the enemy's ways. We must also discern the enemy's schemes. That is his tactics. What is his plot? What is his strategy? First of all, usually the devil comes with a direct slaughter, direct assault. That's what he did with the early church. When the church was birthed in Jerusalem and the church began to spread its movement through Antioch and all these missionary movements were happening and the gospel was being propagated all over the Roman Empire, onslaught of the enemy came through persecution. Many, many Christians experienced martyrdom in those days. Direct assault. But Satan also realizes that doesn't work sometimes. Sometimes that kind of direct assault causes something to happen within the spirits of people that they get all riled up and all filed up in Myanmar. All these young students, all these civilians now out in the street protesting, be willing to lay their lives down. Because this was hard-earned democracy. They've been uh, under military dictatorship for like 49 years. And then it, it's only been 10 years since they have been making all these democratic reforms. And now they lose that again just like that. They will not have it. And that's why they are putting up a fight. Many lives are going to be lost in the process. We need to pray for Myanmar. We need to also raise funds for Myanmar. We've, we are doing that at, at our school, but we don't know what to do with the money. There's no access into Myanmar. And if, if we hand it over to anybody, it may not get distributed to the right people. So we're raising money right now at our school. Everyone's getting involved in this. And the reason why we're doing it, we got to do something. That's the conclusion we came to. Do. We can't just stand by and watch. We can pray, but we got to do something. What can we do? We can start raising funds to fuel persecuted Christians, and so many Muslims right now, they are vacating and escaping to Bangladesh and other uh, nations, but they're suffering. 
So when Satan knows that direct assault is not going to work, he resorts to two things. One, temptation. He provides the lure. And that's what he did for the, the early church. By the 4th century, the beginning of the 4th century, Christianity became acceptable. And by the end of the 4th century, it became the state religion of the Roman Empire. The emperors were elevating Christianity. Emperors were being baptized as Christians. So those barbarians who get converted into Roman Empire, they had to be converted as Christians as well. And there was a temptation now. Temptation to do sort of the politically correct thing. Temptation now to find sort of security in your comfort zone, maybe in rise into prominence because of your Christian identity. That's a temptation. I lived in the United States for a very long time, since my early teens, and I've only known freedom. I mean, I've experienced racism. I've experienced little injustice here and there, but there was basically freedom that was guaranteed us, especially as Christians. I lived in a really great nation. You know, in those days, we didn't have the issues like abortion issues or homosexuality issues, not so much. It was a matter of how much we are willing to evangelize those lost, bring them into church, get them converted, get them to become Christians. And I lived in a region or the state where we prided in the great figure of Billy Graham. He came from North Carolina. He even visited our family once. I didn't even know who he was at the time, but I had the wonderful privilege of living in a very evangelical type of society. But now come to think about it, that itself can create a sort of a comfort zone where we are tempted now to operate as a status quo Christians instead of radical Christians who need to get engaged in transforming the society, going to the hard places, reaching out to those people who do not know Christ. And also Satan comes at us with deception. That is the main thing I think we need to be concerned about in today's scenario. You know, with so many things happening, you know, we need to really be alert and keep our eyes open and be discerning. Don't take anything for granted. We need to exercise discernment. And I think internet helps a lot, but how do we use internet and what kind of information we get is important too. My suggestion to all of you is don't get one-sided only until you check out the other side, really strong opposition side. Balance it out. Then pray in the Holy Spirit to see what you need to do. But what we oftentimes do is get on one side of the camp, and then we're strongly advocating. Their very best is what I embrace. And then what do we do? We, we find a straw man in the enemy camp. You know, the, the weakest link. And we, we listen to them, and then we cut them down. And later we talk to them, and they say, we don't even believe that. 
But we do that all the time. Get their best. Get their best arguments. I'm very much uh, interested in comparative religion. I have solid grounding in our own faith in Christianity. But I want to know how the Buddhists are thinking, the Hindus are thinking, the Muslims are thinking. The Taoists are thinking. The, the Jews are thinking. Also, Jew Kabbalists are thinking. How the New Agers are thinking. But in order to understand how they're thinking, we have to get their best materials by those who are the specialists in their area. Instead of some popular books that we see that's got so much error. So let us not be deceived. Let us check out the facts. Check out all the information that's available for us. And prayerfully discern and make the right decisions in each situation and category. Thirdly, we need to put on the full armor of God. And I'm going to talk about this in detail. But in one word, it is actually putting on Christ and everything that is related to Christ. It's like putting on a cloak. We can't fight naked. Yeah, I'm going to fight naked. You know, like some kind of ultimate fighting championship. All naked. You know, these guys uh, going in the ring. Or the octagon. They take everything off. Bare minimum. Yeah, I'm going to fight it. Yeah, but it's not like that. Flesh and blood. We are weak creatures when compared to the spiritual forces and the enemies that we encounter. We need to put on something. And what is that? In one word, it's putting on Christ. And everything that Christ signifies. His righteousness, His truth, His peace. Everything that is of Christ, we need to know how to put on and be prepared for warfare. Finally, final strategy. If you cannot think of anything, if you cannot remember anything from this message, just let this word ring in your mind and spirit. We must learn to take our stance against the enemy. In verses 11 to 14, the term stand is mentioned four times. So you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So that you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. And finally, to stand firm. So what does this mean? Very simple. Just learn how to stand. Now, how is that related to spiritual warfare? It's related to everything. The one who's found standing at the end wins. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You may be bloody, uh, purple, all exhausted, but still at the end, if you're standing, you win. But you may be glorious, you may be smart, you may be discerning, but at the end you fall and you stay down, you lose. It's as simple as that. That's why Apostle Paul is saying, listen, with everything that you have and the Holy Spirit dwells, who dwells inside of us, everything that you know from the scripture, now just stand, always. And we need to do that in everyday life situation in this world 
which is becoming more and more anti-Christ. It's going to become more anti-Christian in the coming days. We have to learn how to stand when people are bad-mouthing Christ. You can say, hey, could you uh, please not do that? That's my Lord. That's my God. How would you like it if I blaspheme your God and your faith? We should say something. We should be willing to do that instead of let hell and they're all cussing at Jesus. Listen, Jesus will say, if you do not acknowledge me before men, I will not acknowledge you before the Father. And what we did in the public spheres will all be on the screen one day. And I'll be put to shame. Oh no, I thought I wasn't, you know, I was just going along so that I can look for time when I can really deliver the gospel to them. But no, already they've learned to bless him, our God. And that's because so many Christians are wimpy about this. They let them get away with it. We have to stand for our belief. Instead of watching what everybody does, what are you going to vote for? What are you going to uh, go for? No, you have to make your own decision. Based upon your research, based upon your prayer, based upon your conscience, you must make decisions. Now, having said that, I don't necessarily think that there is only one Christian option in our political or some kind of a, a social agendas. I just want to say that. Because you may be hearing me saying, okay, Pastor Daniel is saying that if you really discern, you'll come to this conclusion to be in this party or to be in this sector, to be advocating this agenda. No, that's not what I'm saying. But if you were to ask me about where I stand about any of this position, I'd be glad to share that with you. I have no problem with that. And in certain things, I will speak very strongly, even during the time of sharing the message. But I don't want to get so politically one-sided about this or that. I'm just saying that if you're not sure exactly what to do about it, let's talk about it. Talk with the pastors. Let's do some research. Let's look at some videos together. Let's read the materials together. Let's come to some kind of conclusion whereby we can learn how to take our stance against the enemy. But now going back to what I said earlier, our struggle is not against the flesh and blood. So we must learn to remove ourselves from struggling with people and learn to get behind that. And in prayer and in intercession and spiritual warfare, we need to fight against the real enemy. That is the devil and the demons and the spiritual forces of evil and darkness that's around us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.